we can God's grace, God's mercy, God's peace to his children. In uh, almost 40 years of ministry, I've never preached on the theme found in John chapter 11. It's the shortest verse in the Bible, never preached on it before. Uh, Jesus wept is the shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. There's an incongruity, it seems, in that verse being in the Bible. John chapter 11, earlier, the most important verse in the Bible, to any of us who have lost some loved one to heaven, I do believe, at least for me personally, it is the most important verse. John eleven twenty five. God, or Jesus speaking to Martha, whose brother has died. She is so angry at him. She's almost lost her faith. She's at wit's end. The grief is enormous. And she says to him, if you'd have come right away when I asked you to come, my brother would still be alive. You have that power in you. And Jesus, as explanation, simply said to her, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. On a Memorial Day weekend, my goodness, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me, though he dies, yet shall he live. And whosoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Martha shall never die. The most important verse in the Bible, John eleven twenty five. Those that you have loved and been separated from. Some 20 years ago I saw a statistic that 60% of Americans on Memorial Day are visiting some cemetery somewhere. I don't know what it is now, but it was back then. On a Memorial Day weekend, whoever you have been separated from temporarily, whoever believes in me shall never die. The next verse is the most important question in the Bible. I don't know whether Jesus saw something in Martha's eyes. I don't know whether he is reading her body language. I don't know whether her anger was so intense uh, he didn't know whether the message had gotten through. I don't know whether as he looked at her, he was fearful she had lost her faith. The very next verse is the most important question in the Bible, for he asked her, Do you believe what I just said? Do you believe what I just said? Do you think I lied to you, Martha? Do you believe what I just said? Hebrews eleven six says, There is one thing that pleases God, that you believe that he's real. So when he asked Martha, do you believe what I just said? He asked all of us that question. If it's forgiveness of sins, do you believe what I just said? My blood has cleansed you from your sin. Do you believe your sin is cast away as far as east is from the west? Do you believe I've done that? When he says 365 times in the Bible, don't be afraid, and you are awake all night, didn't sleep well last night, did you, because you have some fear or worry going on in your head, do you believe what he said? Don't be afraid, I am with you. Do not be afraid or tremble, Lord your God is with you. Do you believe the promise? Martha could have gone either way. But Martha, God be praised, said to him, Upon answer to your question, Jesus, I'll give you this answer. I believe you are the Christ, the Son of God. If you are visiting cemeteries on Memorial Day, as you're looking at ashes sitting there in your living room, 
if you go to some place where you scattered the ashes, I ask you the question, do you believe his promise? I've never said goodbye to Jonathan or my mom or dad. Every sermon I've ever preached, I've said to the people, don't say goodbye, say until I see you again. So certain are you of that promise of God. So tell me this now. If he says, whoever believes in me shall never die. If he asks Martha, do you believe what I just said? Can any of you explain to me why 20 minutes later he's standing by the graveside of Lazarus? And the Bible says this. When Jesus saw Mary wailing loudly, and the Jews who had come along with her also were wailing loudly, he was deeply moved in his spirit and troubled. He said to them, Where did you lay Lazarus? And they said, Come see, Lord. And when Jesus arrived, it says Jesus wept. Can you explain that to me? He has made the declaration that the illness in Lazarus' body did not cause his death. He was still alive with his Lord in heaven. Martha has already given him a positive answer. I believe in you. Why in the world would the Bible say Jesus wept? I'll tell you why. Four reasons. Number one, compassion. You go to a funeral home to a wake. Maybe you don't know the person in the casket at all. Maybe you know just some of his friends or family, and so you come. Or maybe you've seen an obituary in the paper, and you saw that this person here, this mom or dad, they lost a child in a car accident. And you went through that some 20 years ago. So somehow or other, though you do not know this family at all, you are drawn to that funeral home, to that wake. And when you walk in and you see the parents up there by the casket, you start to weep. You start to weep because you know what they are going through. Whenever I do a funeral of someone who's young, be it a young mother or a father, be it a child, heaven forbid, or a son or a daughter, I always look at them in the front row and I say, I feel so badly for you because I know the pain that is coming. How many of us shed tears out of absolute compassion for the individual who's going through that? You were diagnosed with cancer. Your next-door neighbor is diagnosed with cancer. You begin to weep. Why? Because you know what they are going through. Compassion. Interesting in the Greek. When Mary is weeping, when Martha is weeping, when the Jews are weeping over Lazarus, the Greek word means loud wailing. You and I have heard that. When the Bible says Jesus wept, different Greek word. It means literally he shed tears. There wasn't any loud wailing, but tears were coming down his cheeks. Why? Compassion. Who was he closer to on this earth than Mary and Martha and Lazarus? When he raises Jairus' daughter, Jairus is a stranger to him. 
When he raises the boy of the widow of Nain, uh, that family is a stranger to him. But Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, they are his dear friends. Compassion for this grief. There is a second reason Jesus wept. It's anger. It's anger. Anger at who? Anger at the doctors? Anger at the priests and the rabbis? Who's his anger directed to? Satan. Mark 3, verse 5, a man with a withered hand comes to Jesus. He says, heal me. Scribes and Pharisees are around him. They say to Jesus, don't you dare do it. It's a Sabbath day. Don't you dare heal this man on the Sabbath day. Bible says Jesus looked at them in anger. And he said to the man with a withered hand, hold out the hand and I'll heal it. And he did. And if you look at the next couple of verses, scribes and Pharisees were so angry, they said, we have got to get rid of him. We've got to find a way to kill him. Anger. Simon Peter, immediately, Matthew 16, verse 16, when Jesus says to him, Who do you say I am? Simon Peter said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus applauds him. It's a few minutes later, and he's talking about his death in Jerusalem. And Simon Peter says to him, Stop talking that way. You're ruining the environment. You're making us feel bad. Stop talking that way. And Jesus looked at him in anger, and he said, Satan, get behind me. He looks at Peter, and he literally calls him Satan. He says, you don't know the things of God, so keep your mouth shut. Anger. My brother down in Texas some 30 years ago, his house was broken into, and everything was torn apart. He doesn't know what they're looking for. He doesn't know whether it's an angry student. He was a principal. He doesn't know what it was, but someone broke into his house and tore everything apart. He has never forgotten that. It's almost like post-traumatic stress syndrome. He's never forgotten that. Jesus on that day looked at Lazarus' body. And he says, my heavenly Father has created life. He has created this body. And Satan has come once again, and he has destroyed what God has created. Jesus had one enemy on this earth. And he might say to you and me, Return no man evil for evil, overcome evil with good. He might say to us, Romans 12, Bless those who curse you, bless and do not curse. He might say that to us. But when it came to that enemy called Satan, he was ferocious in his hatred of that individual. God creates life. When cancer comes, it's not God bringing it. When the car accident happens, it ain't God. When you have a miscarriage, it ain't God. When Alzheimer's comes, you don't blame God. It is Satan's realm. Second Samuel 14, verse 14, like water spilled on the ground, each of us must die. God desires the death of no man. How many times have I used that verse throughout 40 years in the ministry? People having things happen and they look and they blame God. How many times have I used that verse? 
God desires the death of no man. It's Satan's realm. God permits it, but it is Satan's realm. And Jesus looks at this weeping, he lets, looks at the dead body of his young friend, and there is anger to Satan. Solidifies the fact, I'm going to go to that cross, because when I go to the cross, I'm going to defeat sin and death and the power of the devil. I'm going to defeat him once and for all. Why else did he weep? Compassion, anger, why else? Because of his emotional state. A couple of weeks earlier, he goes up the Mount of Transfiguration. Why? The same reason he's sweating drops of blood in the Garden of Gethsemane. He goes up Mount of Transfiguration. He knows it's coming close to the cross in Jerusalem. And he goes up that mountain to pray. He brings Peter, James, and John with him. I need some help here, friends. I need some help here. I need your encouragement. I need your fellowship. I can't do this alone. Climbs up that mountain. Ask God, what should I do? Are you sure you want me to do the cross? God says, forget Peter, James, and John. They're falling asleep already. Let me bring down Moses. I know he'd been dead 1,500 years. Let me bring down Elijah. I know he's been dead for 700 years. They're still alive. Let me bring them down. Let me have them talk to Jesus. And they did. And Jesus is encouraged. God says, I'll do one better. Forget Moses and Elijah. From the cloud on the Mount of Transfiguration, God says, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And Jesus, when he talked with Moses and Elijah, and Jesus, when he heard the voice of God, the Bible says, with great determination, he set his face steadfastly to Jerusalem. It's the end of the marathon. It's the end of the marathon, and I'm going to the cross. His emotional state. That night, sweating drops of blood, as he's saying, God, got to be some other way. Got to be some other way. Not my will, but thine be done. The suffering, what? What? You think he's sweating drops of blood because they're going to beat him with whips and put a crown of thorns on him? No. The suffering is his realization that out of his mouth are going to come these words. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He knows those words are going to come. You say, man, that's, that's not that big. You know, him saying, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Do you know how big it is? When the Bible talks about hell, it says this. 1 Thessalonians 1, verse 7 and 8. It says this. Hell is eternal separation from the presence of God and from the glory of His strength. Hell is eternal separation from the presence of God and from the glory of His strength. Jesus knew as He came to that cross, if God accepted His sacrifice, He would literally be in hell Uh, That's why he wept. You know how it is, right? When 
this happens and this happens and this happens and and you're emotionally just, you got nothing left, right? You know how it is when one more thing happens and you say that was the straw that broke the camel's back. This happens, this happens, roof leaks, toilet doesn't work, car breaks down, and then the phone call comes, there's been a car accident, and you just crumble. Jesus crumbles. He's got all this emotion going on, and now he's standing at a graveside of Lazarus. And that was it. Jesus wept. Compassion, anger, the emotional state he was in, the fourth and final reason he wept. He knew this would do it. He knew this would do it. He knew this would be his death. If he heals a man with a withered hand and they want him dead, what in the world is going to happen when he raises Lazarus from the dead? A couple of days later, he's entering Jerusalem, first Palm Sunday. They're singing praises. Theologians believe 30,000 are in the crowd. They're singing his praises. Hail, Hosanna, the King of Israel. And if you look carefully at that narrative... The scribes and the Pharisees look at all that's happening and they say, it appears that the whole world has gone after him. Let us stop him now. Caiaphas says, let his death come now. That's why Jesus wept. Give me five minutes and let me switch gears. And let me ask you the question. Why tears? Why tears? Why tears? Why tears? I was up in Michigan yesterday morning at 10.30 in the morning doing a baptism a couple hours away. Very, very close to the family. She should not have been able to get pregnant. She was. She had had a couple of miscarriages. Now she is pregnant. The baby has come. There is an illness that runs in the family. She has the illness. This baby should not have come. And as Connie and I drive up there on Friday and we're doing the baptism on Saturday morning and we're sitting there surrounded by this family and their friends, I said to Connie, I don't want to go back. There was a funeral service here at 3 o'clock yesterday. I said, I just want to stay here. I don't want to go back. She said, Paul... When you have weddings, and Joshua's wedding some 10 years ago, Josh and Rachel, and never won the day to end. Never won the day to end. It it was like it was over in about five seconds. Never won the day to end. Why can't it be that way? Why can't our family records just have births and baptisms and graduations and scoring touchdowns and hitting Grand Slam home runs and, and getting to go to the college that uh, mom and dad went to and I got to go there. Why can't our family record just be those smiles and laughter things, the days that we wish never ended? Why do there have to be records in the family about car accidents and losing eyesight and dementia came and, and 
the death came. Why? Why tears? John Quincy Adams, when he was a young man, just elected president, uh, he said, I'm going to conquer the world. In so many words, he said, I'm going to conquer the world. I'm going to make such a difference in this world. It was many decades later, he's 92 years of age, and someone came up to him and said, Mr. President, how are you doing? And he said, "Uh, John Quincy Adams is doing fine. I can't see anymore, and I can't hear anymore, and my bones ache, and I can't walk. Uh, My tent that I live in is falling apart, but John Quincy Adams is doing quite well. I will leave this tent very soon, he said, and I will be safely home. When he's a young man, he's going to conquer the world. There comes a time in his life when suffering is to such an extent, he says, I just want to go home. How many families over the course of all these years, as they watch a loved one decline, how many of them have sat by the bedside and actually prayed to God, as did I, on three different occasions, with mom, dad, and John, Three different occasions I'm saying, God, let him wake up in heaven. Don't let him wake up down here. Let him wake up in heaven. Why would I pray that? Because the one I love is suffering so much, I don't want them to suffer any longer. And because I believe his promise, they'll be safe in heaven. Why tears? Apostle Paul said, don't fix your eyes on the things which are seen, but the things which aren't seen. Rejoice! In the athletic ability God gave you, rejoice in the intellect that God gave you. Rejoice in every blessing you received on this earth from Him. But what will bring you close to Him is not the blessings. What will bring you close to Him, and you know it as well as I do, what will bring you close to Him is when the tears come. That's when you're on your knees. Sixth, seventh, and eighth grade parochial school, I always ask them this question when I, when I teach about prayer. I always ask them the question. I say, put your heads down, close your eyes. Don't want you to see what anyone else is doing. I ask them the question. I'm going to give you two choices. When you pray, are you more apt to pray when everything is going well in your life? You're getting A's on your papers. You're feeling great, da 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 da, da Or you're more apt to pray when some difficult time has come. And it's always a slam dunk with those 75 students, 6th, 7th, and 8th grade. It's always a slam dunk. I say, okay, how many of you pray now, are close to God, when everything's going well, not a single hand goes up? And when I ask them, how many of you pray, how many of you feel closer to God when difficult times are here? Every hand goes up. So it is. Closing word. Why tears? The priests in the Old Testament, they were sprinkled with oil, and when they were sprinkled with oil, they were given the ability to minister to the people. I believe God sprinkles us with tears so that we minister to the people. If you're an alcoholic or you're addicted to drugs, you have an organization, you go there, everyone in that room has the same thing going on that you do. Everyone understands each other. You are there to help. If you lose a spouse and you know someone else on the block who's lost a spouse, you lost yours five years ago, she just lost her spouse, where do you go? You go straight to that house and you say, I know what you're going through, let's talk. 
when I go to the veterans' home in Mantino or Heinz Veterans Hospital. I've gotten to know people that are well enough that I have widows, some of them in their 90s, some of them in their 30s. I have widows, and they will give me a little sheet of paper, and on that paper is the section and the plot where their husbands are buried at Abraham Lincoln Cemetery. And they asked me if I'll go there and bless the grave, and I have never refused that, and I have always done it. When I go to the cemetery, invariably I see other people there. I see very old women in their 90s, and their family is there, and they're helping them as they walk up to a grave. And I see young ones there, and they don't walk up to the grave, they lay on top of the grave, and I watch. And I see them come together as a community. They walk over to the grave where this lady is lying on top of the grave, or they walk over where this 95-year-old is standing there. And all of a sudden, they're a great community. They are lifting each other up. Compassion for others through the tears that we have shed. Closing word, I promise. Wichita, Kansas, nine years, there was never a reception after a funeral. You did the funeral, you went home. That was the culture. I come up here, I can't understand why you're having a funeral service here, and then you're in the Trinity Room, 32 years ago, you're in the Trinity Room, and everyone's kind of laughing and having a good time. Made no sense to me. It only took a couple of times for me to realize The reason you do that after you shed tears in here, the reason you do that is the strength that fellowship brings. The strength that fellowship brings. 250 people here yesterday for the memorial service for Debbie Bentonhausen, dying of a rare illness at age 54 after battling it for 11 years. 250 people here. Tom, her husband, her two boys, her mom, they're sitting there, her brother's sitting there. They needed 250 people holding them up. They knew that Debbie was safe in heaven doing things she hadn't done in decades. But they needed the others. Why tears brings us closer to God Oswald Chambers, pity any Christian who doesn't have a trial going on. The trials bring us close to God. Why tears? So that you don't become so wrapped up in your own grief that you are not able to help others in their grief in our Savior's name. Amen. Would you rise as we pray? On the cross, two words, I thirst. At the graveside of Lazarus, two words, Jesus wept. He knows what grief is. He knows what it feels like. He knows how deeply it goes to the heart. And so, therefore, when we are going through grief, we have a high priest in heaven who totally understands and comes to us in that time of need. Heavenly Father, may we indeed grieve. We need to do that in order to be healthy. But may we then channel that grief into a praise and thanksgiving for your salvation. And may we channel that grief 
into a life lived serving those who are going through similar things. May it be so in our Savior's name. Amen.